0: Love the
1: Nouns, Love the Pronouns, Impersonal and Personal. Love the Words, from
0: ELFM.
1: Love the Words, here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre, and we're actually in Studio One today. I'm in Studio One with Henry, who is on the desk. Hello! And I'm also with 12-year-old Charlie. Hello! So Charlie is here. He just called in a bit earlier on, and I made him a cup of tea, um, and we're sitting here chilling in Studio One. But I'm really pleased today to be talking to a poet I much admire, um, we've spoken to him before on Love the Words, Matt Black. So, hello, Matt. Oh, uh, yes, I'm uh, here. Ah, oh, fantastic, he's there. Hello, Matt, how are you doing?
2: I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. You can tell don't worry, I'm I'm I'll, I'll, get,
3: I'll get this in the edit, don't worry. Live <laughs> listeners are getting a unique experience.
1: <laughs> well, we do, it's live radio and we like that. So, I'm just going to read out some flattering comments about you, Matt. Matt's writing oh. is intense, detailed and deeply original, Frisky and funny and sad, brilliant. That's by Ruth Padell, the famous Ruth Padell, a poet. So creative and original in his ideas and such a pleasure to work with, from the poetry jukebox to writing haikus, nonsense verse nights, dead poet poetry slams, great poet, all-round, lovely guy. That's from Maria D'Souza, director of Off the Shelf in Sheffield. So that's a bit of a hard act to live up to, isn't it, Matt?
2: Yeah, it is. I'll do my very, very best, but uh, I don't know if I'll get there.
1: <laughs> you don't have to be lovely all the way through this, but we're... No, ta- that's true. <laughs> we're talking to you this afternoon, and it's... Um, yeah, so you obviously you're a poet, uh, you write plays as well. You write for children, for young people, as well as for adults. Um, what have you been up to today, Matt? Today
2: I have been to visit a... Uh, what we call a fellow writer... Uh, in a cafe in Coventry for a bit of mutual writerly support and coffee and laughs.
1: That sounds good. We, we need a few of those as writers, don't we?
2: Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's all part of... Um, it's like before Christmas, I have a series of small self-employed office parties, which are usually just two or three people, uh, because otherwise we don't get the office parties.
1: Oh, quite right, actually. You know, you know, My other half, my uh, partner is a writer and we have uh, an office party, just the two of us, every Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, oh, we always make the most of it. I'm sure to get so snog. They're,
2: they're very sober <laughs> affairs, these writers' office parties that I have. You know, we just go and hang out in a cafe for a while and do what we like to do, which is uh, shoot the breeze, talk about writing and talk other nonsense.
1: Absolutely, absolutely right. Um and, and, Matt, you're not in Sheffield anymore, though. You live somewhere else now. Is that right? Obviously, further down. I, I,
2: I, I followed my heart to Leamington Spa, as, <sighs> as I should put in the beginning of a poem at some point. Um, <laughs> or I followed somebody else's heart as well, yeah.
1: Wow. So that must have been a big bit. Well, we, I'm sure there's a story there, but you might not want to share it here on live radio. Um, but you, you, uh, I trust you're happy.
2: Um, I'm very happy, yeah. I'm semi-retired now, so I'm just writing the things I want to write, uh, occasional commissions that turn up. Um, I've joined a choir, and I do Pilates, and i um, enjoying writing at the moment. I'm putting a collection together, which I'm really enjoying working on, as well as writing uh, an alphabet for my grandson.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'm going to be asking you about what you're writing at the moment. Uh, it's intriguingly. Uh, called Dictionary of Caring for Aged Parents, Sibling Rivalries and Interesting Battles for Chattels. Is that right?
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. So that's um, something that I've been working on and is I think it's now finished um, and it's a piece that arose out of a period of about seven or eight years when I was helping to care for my dad who had progressive dementia, though... That wasn't really the main aspect of it in many ways it's not really a story about his dementia it's a story more about how siblings either um, agree or disagree uh, with varying degrees of cooperation um, in how to look after uh, a, an older
1: parent well I think that's absolutely fascinating i mean it's you know i'm my parents are both long gone but uh, uh, my other half's parents uh, well, certainly, aged mother is still very much around, and i shouldn 't say this on it, so I 'll we'll get into too much detail but yeah there the, there are four sisters i leave it to you to imagine uh, i think
2: well it... that's that 's odd because i 've got four sisters and um, ah. uh, there are many stories and and yeah. I talk to people reasonably often about this stuff, and all over the country, there are groups of siblings with Uh, you know varying one end of the spectrum everything is fine and they all get on well and they completely fine with how they are managing to look after their parents or not or one parent Um, right the way across the spectrum to those who are you know not talking to each other closing Mm. the locks on their parents houses taking things out of the house while the other people, other siblings, don't know. I mean, it's and it's all over the country that's going on, and it's uh, kind of fascinating to me.
1: And also, I wonder whether it is something that we talk about. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's as you say, there are so many people having so many varieties of experience, but the difficult experiences would be worth sharing. But I suggest that they probably don't get talked about outside that family um
2: no i mean my what i've noticed. one or two people i've noticed do talk about it uh sort of more publicly than others and and then there's always a sort of there's that awkwardness that you know whatever quite a lot of people whatever is happening in their family there's a sense of either family loyalty or it's not really right to talk about this Mm. or the feelings are so strong that they're embarrassing to share or difficult to share so Mm. you're right I think there are lots of reasons why um, uh, these things may not be talked about.
1: And also I wonder whether there's something about the parent being ill probably possibly about to die that that it focuses and sort of intensifies all those childhood experiences and the way we're patterned as siblings, where we come in our families how much we want to be loved or if we we haven't been loved and the, all those things kind of come to a head in the experience of looking after an older parent Is would that be about right or at variance with what you... Yeah,
2: absolutely spot on Peter, uh, I mean that's, the, 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 several of the things that you mentioned in that last few sentences, the things that come up in this dictionary, so And the dictionary is just a series of entries under words. So, you know, you've got an entry under... uh, uh, And there are entries for every letter. So, you know, there's A's for Antiques Roadshow plus a few (laughs) other A's. And then when you get to W, as you just referred to, W is will, and the entry is, will this chattel replace the love you never gave me? Will this teapot do anything for the love you never gave me? So a lot of... Yeah, a lot of feelings get heightened I think at that time
1: well I'm going to be asking you in a bit to, to probably towards the end to read some of your poems for young people because Charlie's here and he might want to comment on that uh, on on a couple of poems but um, I, in the meantime since we're on this track with older people and looking after uh, aged parents have you got something from your your recent writing to to read for us
2: yeah, I could read a few entries uh, from this dic- what's it called Dictionary of Caring for Elderly Parents. Yep. Sibling rivalries is an Interesting Battles for Chattels. Go for it. Um, which is my longest title yet. <laughs> uh, so I'll just read um, what do we want, a couple of minutes, half a dozen entries. Yep, that's fine. Um, Antiques Roadshow. Useful Sunday night telly for bringing... Elder being cared for parent and old but doing the caring child together. In well-off families, this programme may help with valuations on chattels in the future. Other useful telly, see Strictly Come Dancing. Adults, who we might be but who we might not always be. In family care situations, who is the adult and who is the child may be easily confused. Adult children, childish adults, children who are adults, etc. To save confusion, try and avoid this term in family discussions. B. Butterfly. As in the theory that a simple event like the wings of a butterfly can cause ripples in far-off countries and down the years as well, may explain how a moment that happened between siblings in the 1970s might be remembered and remain as a live wire in the relationship 45 years later. For example, see pin. Uh, And then under pin, it says the one used by one sister to make holes in another sister's durex. (laughs) Uh, See, can't. Can't visit him this month. I'm too busy with work. I'm going to a wedding. I'm visiting my friend's mum. I'm going away for two months. I can't cope with seeing him like that. I don't think of him as my father. I find it too upsetting. I live too far away. Car boot. The car boot test. This old drill that does not work, that I may be choosing to inherit. This chipped framed picture... This ugly mirror that has no strong sentimental value put it to the car boot test. Would I buy this at a car boot? Mm. And we'll have, let's have one more, which could be fire service. The family meeting where we tried to resolve angry disputes about input into care by arranging jobs for each of us that would work well with our other life commitments. One of us for bookkeeping, one of us for house maintenance, one of us for shopping, etc. How quickly that fell apart, how in the end one of us had to keep control, couldn't let go, one of us suddenly had extra work commitments, one of us did not have the time to spend five minutes ringing the fire service to review and advise us on our lack of smoke alarms.
1: Oh, these uh, have an eerie resonance for me. Uh, oh, Mattis. okay. Uh, no, they do, and it's it's. I'm I'm finding it. Yeah, yes, yeah, strong stuff. And it's yeah. When when is this coming out? <laughs> I'd like a copy well, of it. That's
2: another. That's that's a, an interesting question. Uh, the thing is that since my my dad's now died, he died three years ago, three or four years ago, and we've all moved on to some extent. And I'm now talking really quite happily with sisters that I wasn't talk- talking to or talking with difficulty a few years ago. Mm. Um, so, I am in a, a, at the moment, it's only coming out on uh, Chapel FM because I don't really know whether to publish it or not, Peter.
1: Well, I'm, that, <laughs> I was, I'm an...
2: going through that, that sort of a dilemma of how to publish something that is, is going to be awkward for other people.
1: Yeah, was well, that was going to be my next question? Really, I mean, the other two people in this room here, both Henry and Charlie. Henry's parents are hale and hearty. Uh,
3: I I, I will say that uh, car boot sales were were a big part of me and my grandpa's relationship, and it was You're car right. boot sales a big deal for the whole family. But he was the king of the car boot sales. When I wrote a poem for him, he he was given that title, and so that's, thinking that's, about yeah parenting car boot sales and and actually I'll say that line charlie who is now running the desk i i just want to point out i'm just here for the ride i'm just chilling out in the corner <laughs> but charlie when you read that line about you know would you buy it this thing this object this possession this trinket would you also buy it a car boot sale you you charlie you just went that's lovely
4: possibly I'd... yes because um the last time i ever went to a car boot was when I was about four, five-ish, because I oh. went with my granddad. Well, my dad's side, my um, my dad's dad, um, before he passed. Mm. So there's a
3: there's oh. a there's a thing of like bargain hunting with the older generation. Yeah. I think like it's yeah. a it's a treat. Yeah, thank you for sharing that,
1: Charlie. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. No, yeah. I'm, I'm glad thanks, that that that's fine. Yeah, I, and and I, I was gonna ask you. Matt, yeah, about that very tricky thing of when you do publish this, if you do, yeah, how will your siblings feel about it? Will they? Because I, th- I think just to say before you ask that que- answer that question, I mean, this could be of great. Um, I think it could be really useful. This dictionary for lots of people yeah, and families who are struggling.
2: That's my theory, and I've, I've. It's something that I have read a couple of occasions. You know, at uh, uh, readings and stuff, and. Uh, I've had such a strong response to it from people, you know, particularly, obviously, people who are going through it. I get three or four people each time coming up really wanting to, you know, either just say, you know, I really relate to that or, or to tell me some more stories about things that have happened in their experience. Yes. Um, uh, so... I don't know whether maybe just to do it under another name. Hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think they'd probably suss it.
2: Presented. These aren't your problems, I know that.
1: Well, no, but I'd, be very interested. I'd certainly be very interested to read it when it comes out, but I, and I would urge you to publish it. But on the other hand, I can understand. I mean, if it was, again, in my family or, or uh, a, another family close to me, I think there would be some fallout. But, you know, I, th- I think it would be extremely useful. as just a discussion point, maybe for sort of releasing tensions of people, within families. But anyway, I think it's a, it's, it sounds a fabulous piece of work. Um, there's a Susan Hill, Hill novel. I don't know if you know t- note that. I forget what it's called, which is all about a member of the family. Uh- farming oh. uh re uh, kind of writing a book a memoir about the family and then that cause the repercussions of that amongst the wider family and what that causes um what that what happens from that and I'll try and I'll try and remember it by the end of this program
2: oh well, I'll
1: look that up I'll uh, look that up anyway. I'm on a fact finding mission <laughs> <laughs> go for it <laughs> so in the meantime we're going to hear a track uh, we're going to hear a track Henry's rising from his seat he's going over to <laughs> very dramatically, and he's going to go and help Charlie on the desk. And it's uh, by Public Image Limited. You chose this. Uh, Why did you choose it, Matt?
2: Um, I chose it because it's a track that I love, obviously, Um, and it's a track about resistance, and it's a track about anger, and um, I think anybody who knows me would say that they would not think that I was an angry person and I'm, I, I'm actually not an angry person I very rarely get angry but I still have a lot of things that I sort of feel angry about and and it's been a huge source of energy to me uh, in a really sort of odd quiet background way so I love this trap because it articulates the energy that anger has brought to my life, which I actually am really grateful for. I think, I think anger and joy are uh, different sides of the same coin.
1: Fantastic. We're going to hear it now. So oh, that was Pill, Public Image Limited chosen by the writer, the poet Matt Black So uh, Matt, during that uh, during that song and Charlie's been brilliant on the desk there, just faded me up and faded the song down um, Henry's been looking online at John Lydon and so Henry, tell us about what you found out
3: Yeah, so I don't know the full story but just to say that John Lydon's wife has Alzheimer's and he's pretty much been a full-time carer for her there's a few interviews online where he talks about um yeah how he's caring for her um supporting her i guess it's interesting what you were talking about before matt and you know we are getting an older population um just statistically we need more carers more people looking after them and it's something i've seen with my parents looking after their parents and i reflect on it and it's almost this like like we need to learn how to care like we need like we need to learn how to look after our uh, everyone as we're getting older
1: absolutely yeah did you know about John Lydon uh, looking after his wife Matt?
2: no i didn't and i think that's that's so true because um you know what you're saying about we need to learn to look, how to look after and to care and mm. uh you know there's so many people now they're looking after parents uh And they themselves are in their 60s and their Mm. parents are in their 80s or 90s. And (laughs) so, uh, you know, it's quite hard looking after your parents when you yourself have got uh, either uh, health issues or uh, you're just generally slightly more knackered than you used to be.
1: (laughs) No, and also... (laughs) Yeah, tell me about it, Matt. But, um, I mean, also we are looking after somebody, in the case of our parents, who... Looked after us as when we were a, a child, or yeah. or didn't look after us as a child, or for whom we have yeah. either conscious or unconscious feelings about look being looked after. So it's so much more complex, isn't it? It's, it's a real, it's a real cocktail of stuff.
2: It's a real cocktail of stuff, and I'm I was you know one of the things about my dad's dementia was that during the last three or four years. Uh, he became much more affectionate and grateful and uh, I was so pleased about that. That was a really nice nice thing that happened and I think it was partly to do with the way that his brain was working but also that sort of didn't matter, you know, he would say thank you and when are you coming again and he'd been such a sort of bluff old person before, he rarely showed a feeling. Um, in a straightforward way. He showed lots of feelings, but not in a straightforward way. So um, so that was great.
1: And if there were tensions, as there are in lots of families, around between siblings in terms of looking after the older person, was he conscious of that?
2: Um, he didn't seem to be. He didn't really pass comment on them. We would uh, only go and visit him um, you know, either on our own or with whichever siblings we were comfortable with, as it were. Mm. We rarely crossed... Um, we re- we rarely shared care with him if we, if we were with somebody that we weren't um, feeling very comfortable with. Uh, mm. So I, I don't... We sort of tried to keep it from him, mostly, basically. I think that's the answer, yeah.
1: Well, I would really recommend... Um, and obviously I don't have to deal with the fallout but I, I, I certainly I would love to uh, read the dictionary that you bring out and, I, and I'd, I'd, I'd be fascinated by that book and I'd probably take a lot of wisdom from it as well, I'm sure lots of people would so I would urge you to publish it but in but Matt, in the time that we've got left I just want to, yeah, to ask you about the range of writing you've done over the years I'm just looking at something you brought out recently Sniffing Lamppost by Moonlight um, Spoon yeah. Rebellion tell us about Sniffing Lamppost by Moonlight
2: um, I got slightly obsessed with writing about dogs when I realised that um, over the last 20 to 25 years, there's been a huge amount of research done into the way that dogs behave and um, their psychology and um, and how they interact with us. Uh, and I started to read this research and, and started to write lots and lots of poems, sort of Partly based on it, but inspired by uh, the dogginess of dogs. <laughs>
1: um, have you got one there? Uh, you what? Have you got one there? Uh,
2: yes, I can. I can very easily find one here. Let me have. I'm just on my computer, but uh, there's one. This is the one. Uh, this, yeah. So this is about the dogginess of dog. It's called Lovely Humans, please. Lovely Humans, please. Let me sniff, sniff, sniff. On walks, give me time to wander, dig and scratch, to express my doggy self. Led by the twitch of my nose, let my rippling body follow the flow and scent of old instincts. Give me games to exercise my mind, toys with squeaks, puzzle balls, trails, rewards, and treats, treats, treats. Get to know me and what I like. For I am unique. Much like you, I am happiest, healthiest, at my best when I am fed with the right kind of love. Lovely humans, please find the time and let me do my doggy stuff. <laughs>
1: Charlie's and laughing. Then there's
2: another, there are there are it's other poems which are made up just to barks.
1: Great. I, I just uh, yeah, Charlie. What did you think of that?
4: It's funny and. Um kind of cool at the same time because you've just done that off of imagination or you've just brought that off of something you've heard.
2: Yeah, thanks Charlie that's true, that is something I've heard and and uh, a bit of sort of wanting dogs to be respected for who they are rather than who we think they ought to be.
4: Yeah, because a lot of people treat dogs like absolute rubbish.
0: Yeah. Um,
4: they put dogs in kennels um they yeah. beat... Um, and I actually took a dog in from the kennels, because or else it was going to get put down. But my mum said, "No, we're not, we're not having that." So we took him in. Oh, but, good for you! So is that a
2: rescue dog?
4: Yeah, we have a, re- we had a rescue dog, shall I say, because yeah. he sadly had to go. Oh.
1: Well, oh, thanks, okay. Charlie. Yeah, no,
2: that's, my, my dog's a rescue dog as well, Charlie. Uh, Lots
1: more around now, rescue dogs, aren't they? I think during lockdown people got them.
4: Uh, Yeah, it's pretty easy to train those. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, Because if it's like a puppy, it's not that it's very hard because you're going to have to train them to poo um, outside and in a direct spot. If if it's already trained mostly, then it's going to be easier to help it and use it.
1: Well, this is lots of doggy conversation here, Matt, You've your poems given risen to. Thanks very much, <laughs> given rise to, I cool. should say. Uh, welcome. Th- thanks, Charlie. Um, so, Matt, we're going to have to, to, to finish quite soon, I'm afraid. It's, time has flown. Um, are you yeah. still writing for children and young people? I love that. Uh, I love the poetry you've written for them.
2: Yeah, I am. I'm still doing stuff. I'm particularly doing um, poems about getting older, uh, eco-poems... Um, yeah, I'm still, and an, an, an poems for my grandson, so he's only two, so it's quite nice to be writing for him.
1: Have you got any poems for for him that you could read out now, or you would want to, if they're not too personal? Uh,
2: yes, let me just have a very quick think, uh, yes, um... Or
1: um, for young people generally, because obviously you've, Charlie's, uh... So I can already see him reaching for the writing pad, wanting to write his own poem. Okay,
2: I'm going to read one for Charlie. That's a little We've talked a bit about old people. We've got young. We've got young Charlie there. We've talked about um, Charlie's granddad, and uh, this is a poem about. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so this is a. Uh, it's called the Granny Power Rap. It goes like this: <laughs> One fine day, in the middle of a nap, a little voice said, "You got to write a rap. Rap. That's cool, but I ain't no youth, so I better write a rap with my own kind of truth." Tip-tap, tip-tap, crackety-crick, to do the dodgy shoulder, to do the dodgy hip. Tip-tap, tip-tap, crackety-crick, you ain't going to stop the old geezer's rap because when we feel good, we shout, whoa, you ain't going to stop. Granny power, so I tap my rap, age 67, sweet little age, close to heaven. But inside, yeah, still a young child, feeling frisky, risky, wicked and wild. You think, guess what, kids, it's fun over here in the carpet, slippers with a bottle of beer, ballroom, dancing, foxtrot, tango, home for telly and a nice cup of cocoa. Tip-tap, tip-tap, creakety creak to the cup of cocoa, to the carpet tea. Tip-tap, tip-tap, creakety-crack. You ain't gonna stop the old geezers' rap, because when we feel good, we shout... Whoa You ain't gonna stop, granny power. When I run upstairs, I run out of breath, and at the top, there stands death, but death just says you're too soon, baby. Come back later, and I say maybe, but I'm too busy doing the stick, doing the hat, fighting fit, fighting fat, dodgy hip, dodgy back, but when we feel good, we shout, shall... Whoa You ain't gonna stop, granny power.
1: Excellent. Well, what did you think of that, Johnny?
4: Uh, that was actually pretty funny, and kind of kind of good, because I, um, me and Henry started jumping out to it. If Henry wants to speak, and so.
3: yeah, we were just doing <laughs> pulling
1: some funky shapes in the studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they were yeah. actually Matt. They were. Uh, so there you go. That's the power of poetry. So it's been lovely to speak to you, Matt. Thank you ever so much for coming on today. Uh, from Leamington. Uh, Yeah, no, it's
2: been great. I've really enjoyed it and uh, it's made me think a bit more about, I feel a little bit more pushed towards publishing that thing. So that's interesting.
1: Please do feel pushed. And uh, yeah, uh, we might get floods of emails of people (laughs) from all over the country going, do you know, I really want to see that book. So you never know. If you do, we'll let you know. Um, We've got one more track that you chose and... uh, I'd like you to introduce that before we part. Okay. It's, it's uh, oh uh, no, no, Henry's looking at me quizzically as if I didn't give him that track. It's called "Let It Be" by a band called the Beatles. <laughs> He's tapping away. This is <laughs> this is live radio. I think we should. Why, def- why does Matt want to play? Let It? <laughs> why does he want? Why do you want to what? Why he? That's what's Henry Henry's asking there.
2: What's he asking?
1: Well, uh, why you want that one?
2: <laughs> oh well, I, I really like it, and it's. Uh... It's a nice thing to listen to when uh, you want a bit of simple wisdom to get you through the day.
1: Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's what we're going to have now. We're going to hear Let It Be from the Beatles. And thanks ever so much, Matt. It's lovely to speak to you. Do get back in yeah, touch when you have, pu- have published Dictionary. Uh, there's another push. And we will, uh, we'd love to house a copy here in our local writer's library. Thanks very much, Matt, and all the best. Cool.
2: Take care.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. to love the words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre. I've been in the studio here with Henry, our broadcasting worker, and with Charlie, who is learning the desk and doing brilliantly at it. And I've also been talking to Matt Black, the poet, the writer. He's been reading some fab poems about grannies and also about looking after elderly parents and the difficulties of that. So thank you, Matt. And you can hear this programme again. if Listen again on the website. um, and to all our programmes actually I love the words and in fact all the broadcasting we do it's all up on the Chapel FM website you can listen again forever
3: and uh, yeah if you're listening live and are you you're listening whenever it's all available. Like check out teen music because Charlie's going to do that show mm. in a little bit. Even though he's not a teenager, but we let him do it. It's fine. And also, <laughs> that's a bit rude,
4: don't you think, Henry? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then uh, the Red Kite Radio Show and the Red Egg podcasts. If you want to hear more young people yes, voices, yes,
4: yes, yes, absolutely.
1: And Blue Owl coming up in the next couple of weeks. Ooh, which I is can't wait for that open one. Open, mi- yeah, open mic for young people, which would be is was the first one was absolutely brilliant. So plenty going on here. Um, we're going to hear uh, one of the highlights of Writing on Air this year. Writing on Air was um, themed around the idea of home, and this piece is called Coming Home. It's um, it's by Madeleine Weedart and she wrote it and she spoke it. And it's about uh, Madeleine getting a diagnosis of autism at the age of 69, and this is her experience of that in
0: her own words. Coming Home. Coming Home by Madeleine Weedart. I'm a star falling into this world. Can you see me? Can you see me? Why is there a wall between us? Why are you the other side of the wall? Can't you see who I really am? Can't you hear me? Building layers. The pearl in the oyster. Hidden. Overwhelmed. Keeping quiet. The sounds. The smells. Physical feel and touch. The crowding. Where was the space? Who would? Blackbirds calling, bluebells, home. Slowly, silently, now the moon walks the night in her silver shoon. This way and that she peers and sees silver fruit upon silver trees. One by one, the casements catch her beams beneath the silvery thatch. Couched in his kennel, like a log, with paws of silver, sleeps the dog. From their shadowy coat, the white breasts peep of doves in a silver-feathered sleep. A harvest mouse goes scampering by, with silver claws and silver eye, and moveless fish in the water gleam by silver reeds in a silver stream. Words were home, meaning, shape, sound, feeling the sound drunk on sound. And moveless fish in the water gleam by silver reeds in a silver stream. Having to choose between maths and languages, sciences or arts. It was always, this is what we offer, what we can do. This is the way we do things. Not what do you need? How can we help? How can we support you? What creativity? Such diversity! Diverging from the norm was not often welcomed. Too different. Too challenging. Leaving home was being pushed out and turning in, trying to find safety. Learning to layer, learning to copy, to mimic, more layers of camouflage. But can I peel them off now? Dumbed down, living through an external persona that I've taught myself to believe is me. She greets the world, goes out, tries things, but is, essentially, homeless. How can you make a home if you don't know who you are, what you really like, need, want, dream about? Dreams. Ah, those are deep and rich and full and sometimes very terrifying. Often intense, always in colour. Being introduced to the works of Jung was an important meeting. Layers and levels, the archetypes, the dream landscapes that represent, act out as I act out, a life that is mine, but not me. Finding a home in his deep knowledge and understanding. In crowded places, press of people, noise, closeness, sounds, textures, the words aren't clear. They're muffled, and I have to strain to hear and actually understand what's being said. I'm smiling, greeting people, going through the actions and gestures. Words come out of my mouth like a well-rehearsed speech. Can I feel any of it? There's too much of it all, but I'm surviving, fitting in, acting for all I'm worth. Sometimes... I'm not okay, my skin. There's too much inside for my skin to contain. The tiredness. The exhaustion. Retreat to bed like a snail into its shell. So glad I don't have to see anyone, talk to anyone, listen to anyone. Just leave me alone and give me space. My head is full of space that is full of thoughts, memories, questions, worries. The fear of not recognising faces, especially in a different context. I once had a conversation with someone under the impression I was talking to somebody else. Socialising. Did I say the right thing? Did I understand correctly and interpret through the fog of sound? Did I say too much? Too little. Was I overemphatic? Did I go on too long? Did I remember to stop talking and let others have their say even though I had so much more to say? Why did I say anything when it was all so meaningless? Why did I let myself get into that situation in the first place? Why do people like listening to me? I talk too much. I say too little. I don't know how to push back, deflect. I feel put on the spot and obliged to answer. Why can't I stop, pause, take a breath, redirect the conversation? While I'm going over and over these thoughts, I'm remembering the book I'm reading and the research I want to do around the writer. Oh, and what was that place I was going to Google? There was a memory jog up, a word play to help me recall. But I'm back in the press, the throng, the crowding thoughts, the doubts, the insecurities. Realising there might be a reason and setting foot on the long road to diagnosis. In the world of research into autism, 14% is about women and girls. Which means, of course, that 86% is about men and boys. When I received my diagnosis at the age of 69, I was told to remember that I'm still the same person. Am I? If I've been covering up the essential me because she was different, would behave differently, think differently, act differently, how can I be the same with this new knowledge? Now I know there is a reason why. I almost lost contact with her, and we have only touched base on rare occasions when I felt safe to remove the mask. A world that has taken me at face value hasn't been allowed to see behind the mask. Only my close family, and even there, hmm. Now I know why. Can I remove the mask? I want to welcome her home. I want to be welcomed home. I want to come home to myself. And even if there is no I, according to a Buddhist friend... There is still the woman who wakes up every morning and has to summon the courage to get up and get going, for whom part of the morning ritual has been putting on the appropriate mask to face the day. Woman who can cope with running a house, going out into the social interactions of daily life, making the phone calls, writing the emails, choosing and ordering things, returning things... Decisions, more decisions, dealing with change, more decisions, getting places, managing time, trying to do too much, trying to fit it all in, trying to fit in, trying to fit, trying, trying. Dance, movement, ritual of choreography, knowing what is coming. But also freedom to explore beyond boundaries in the studio, expressing myself through movement, the kinesthetic gift and release. The first time I truly let myself go in a dance workshop, brought on nausea, the release of emotion was so intense. Creative dance has become another home, a safe space, although sometimes it can be too daunting and I'm an observer. I'm observing myself in the kitchen. It's time to make supper. I put on Radio 3, the safety blanket that wraps me in music and learning, soothes my emotions and engages my brain, just as a new weighted blanket wraps around my physical body, calming and reassuring. Then the extractor fan has to go on as the kitchen fills with steam. But I can still hold on to the voice in the background until another body comes in to share the space, turns down the radio, or puts it off, and starts talking. The space has shrunk. I'm squeezed between things. The fan, the fan. All I can hear is the fan. I can't think or act. I can't turn round, move. There's someone in the way. I'm clumsy. Back to exhaustion. Bed. The snails retreated. The thoughts creep back in. Then the mind, like an enthusiastic terrier, gets hold of the ball of thoughts and won't let go. You can hold the ball up and the terrier comes too. It won't let go. Holding on to those thoughts. Off again, questioning what I said, what I did, what they said, what they did. Did I get it? Round and round. How do you train a terrier to let go? Now I know the reason why my mind gets lost in rumination. I'm learning to calm the terrier and encourage it to rest. The struggle has made me deeper and more resourceful. The cost has been, and still is, exhaustion. Exhaustion. But if I go for a walk, walk the world's way, notice the birds, the grasses, the plants in the hedgerow, lift my eyes to the distant horizon, keep moving slowly, other words come, and I'm home again, back with the rhythm of walking and the rhythm of words. Watching a hare crouched in the field, in the late autumn sunshine, as I scribble these words. Where is home? What would it look like now? It would be spacious. Nature, back to blackbirds, flowers, trees. And the sea. It's always moving, but always there. A constant form of change that is bigger than me, but holds me in its water washes away the intrusive sounds and fills me with sea songs on the beach i can set my thoughts free roaming stretching exploring to the horizon and beyond there are no limits no boundaries to imagining creating Now I know there's a reason why. Now I'm free to welcome and enjoy my neurodivergent brain. I'm beginning to peel off the layers that have covered up and disguised. I'm learning to pace my life and create more space for myself. Well, I'm trying. It's frightening, intense and very tiring. But I want to know, who is living underneath? Who has been waiting, hiding, only showing her face on rare occasions? Is she willing and able to dance her way out? Lay claim to a place in this neurotypical world? Find a home? Can I, she, come home together? (laughs) Can you see me? Do you hear me? Can you see me? Meet me?